Hey, it's Matt. How you doing? Welcome to the show. You're listening to episode 46 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports podcast, the show where I try and uncover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours, which you probably know by now. And if you don't, well, now you do. Thanks for listening to and downloading this one, if you did. And yeah, I hope you enjoy it. I sure did, because this week's guest is Oliver Perkovich, who's the founder of head of skate, founder and head of Skaterstan, who I interviewed at the Pushing Borders uh, event up in London recently. So if you don't know, Skaterstan is probably the best known action sports charity out there, I would say. It's an international non-profit that uses skateboarding to provide education and other safe spaces for kids from low-income backgrounds in Afghanistan, Cambodia and South Africa. Yeah, I did pretty much read that off the website, but you know, it's as good a description of this visionary organisation as you're going to find, which was set up by Ollie back in 2008. And at the time, I would say it was definitely a true outlier, an eccentric idea dreamed up by this diehard skateboarder who was keen to explore just how, as he puts it, skateboarding could be more broadly utilised. Ten years later, it's got a huge global profile, Skater Stan, counting legends like Tony Hawk and Jamie Thomas's supporters or citizens if you like and yeah has pioneered the use of an activity like skateboarding or well another action sports because it's definitely been uh, used in a similar way in surfing and snowboarding as a transformative force and a metaphor through which to engage with at-risk communities so like most people I got my first introduction to skater stand back in 2010 I believe when um, Orlando von Eisendel made the documentary to live and skate in Kabul about the early years of the charity. And um, since then, like I say, it's grown into one of the, the most well-respected organisations in action sports. So what I wanted to know when I sat down with Oli Perkovich is how did he do it? How did he use skateboarding to create such a visionary organisation? And uh, yeah, happy to say we covered all that and plenty more. Sure, we dug right into the history of Skaterstam, but there's a lot of big themes in this one finding a sense of purpose, the importance of community in an increasingly globalised world, how individuals can find their own place in the world, and a bit of a pet theme of the podcast, the universality of human experience. Now, if that all sounds a bit wafty for your tastes, I wouldn't worry about it, because the other thing that quickly becomes clear, as you're going to hear, is that Oli Perkovich is a man of action above all, somebody who dreamt pretty big and channeled his own nervous energy, as he put it, and desire to make a difference, something else we get into, into one of the most positive forces in action sports. And uh, yeah, the result is a really inspirational conversation. So here it is. Enjoy it. My conversation with Oli Perkovich about Skater Stan. Nice one. So I'm with Oli. How do you say your surname? Perkovich. Perkovich from Skaterstan. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. When did you get to town? Uh, a couple of days ago. Yeah. I always like coming to coming to London. It always has a has a certain energy and buzz. Yeah. Well, you live in Berlin, right? So yeah, Berlin's pr- um, properly sleepy compared to London. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Because I don't know Berlin that well, but I always kind of assume that it has a similar kind of cultural energy, really. I guess I'm yeah I think it's uh, it was a it was a city that was built for 10 million people and there's 3 million people in it whereas oh, really? it's probably the other way around yeah that is true 
yeah, you do you do notice how we, we cram them in over here, don't we? Um, and you're here for the Pushing Borders event, which is where we are now, we're at the House of Vans, um, which is probably going to account for the, the train noises and the skate noises we're going to have in the background. Um, and you're speaking today, right? So you're part yes, of the panel. Yes, there's a, there's a panel in the afternoon. And, um, yeah, we're talking about skate charities and the growth of skate charities around the world and things to do with that. Yeah, and who else is on the panel with you then today? Uh, we've got uh, um, uh, from Skate Pal, from uh, Free Skate Movement, uh, from yeah, a couple of different uh, a couple of different skate charities that that work around the world. And is it is that growing? Um, I don't know what the word is, but trend, if you like, that people are starting to use skateboarding more and more for this um, purpose, if you like, as as using it as a force for kind of charitable good. I've definitely seen the. The, the growth of a lot of um, skate charities, uh, I, I guess, since we've started as well. Because um, you're 10 years now, aren't you? 10, 10, years, uh, 10 years ago, starting in, starting in Afghanistan. Yeah. And now there's more than 100 um, social skate projects all around the world. And that's also the next step for, for us is to see whether we can actually help these, these charities have more, of, more social impact right. through something called Good Push that okay. we're doing. Right, right. So what's that entail then? What's that all about? So basically we want to package everything that we know and open source it. Just share it with as many people as possible. And we've made a million fuck-ups along the way. And right. how can we, you know, how can we prevent... We've jumped through those hoops before. Yeah. How can we help you just go faster? And it's sort of the way that skate, prick, uh, skate tricks work. You know, somebody does it first and then... Yeah. It's uh, so much faster for the people afterwards, but it's all about sharing. Well, I mean, that's one of the things that really comes across, actually, from the whole skater stand um, ethos, if you like. I mean, I really because I watched the film, the Land Escape film, and I really like the idea that you guys basically propose, which is that skater stand is effectively this borderless international community, right? You know, land of skate. That the idea is that it is about community, that it is about sharing, sharing ideas. I mean, has that always been at the, the heart of the, the skater stand idea since the beginning? Well, I think that, yeah, I think sharing is incredibly, incredibly important to, to move forward. And, um, I mean, these are sort of things that I, I live by, respect, sharing. These are, these are values, that I, values that I have. Um, I didn't actually have the idea of starting a skate charity. It just sort of came out of, it just sort of evolved. And, um, yeah. I, I didn't go to the Afghanistan with the idea of starting something out. I just saw a, I saw a need. Yeah. I saw a need for girls to play a bigger role in civil society in Afghanistan. I was really shocked by the fact that, yeah, there was no women driving cars. There yeah. were no women walking down the street. Yeah, Any it's one of the most patriarchal societies in the world, isn't it? And, yeah, and that's one of the... I mean, I guess that's, that's a good point, maybe if you, for people that are listening that aren't super familiar with the charity, if, I mean, it's a story that's really well told, but it'd be great if you could give us a little outline of, you know, where it did come from, you know, from the, from the minute you did sort of arrive in Kabul 10 years ago. So I, I arrived in Kabul in 2007 with a couple of, couple of skateboards and I'd gone there because my girlfriend at the time got a job in Kabul as a researcher and I was looking for a similar type of uh, type of job and I started to skate the street as soon as it was possible because 
that's something that's fun to do. Yeah, you explore you the do. city, you make uh, connections with people, and that's what I really wanted to do. I wanted to understand, you know, where was I? What was what was going on? What were people thinking? What were people doing? And um, yeah, through simply just having the skateboard on the street, kids would come up and they basically they saw me as a money tree and it was like, oh, it's a foreigner on the street. We right. can get some with we it, can get some money out of him. Yeah, with it, with an expensive looking toy kind of thing. And uh, I sort of used that against them. It was like, well, try this skateboard out. And right. I thought it was super fascinating that girls were also trying the skateboard out, and so then that grew into little sessions, and then from there it was. Uh, it was the fact that I simply gave the girls three times as much time to skate on uh, to skate than than boys, and they got better than the boys. And I thought that was super cool. And, and that was a conscious decision then, because you saw it as an opportunity to to give them an opportunity that they weren't given in their society. Yeah, I just uh, I was just so affected by the uh, the tiny role that that women had and the tiny opportunities that they were given and what was what was really interesting is that yeah more time on a board means that you build those skills and over time these little sessions got bigger and bigger Um, I ran some competitions and the boys would beat the girls in every age group and I was like well yeah that kind of makes sense you give them more time on the board and then they're going to be better and the community started to see that as well and they um, they started to see skateboarding as an activity that was appropriate for girls. So yeah. soccer was not appropriate for girls because it was a boy sport and riding a bicycle was not appropriate for girls because it was things that men did. So uh, there was a loophole and I thought, well, I've got to exploit it. Yeah. And so that that's kind of where it where it came about. And then there were the then there was the statistics you know, half the population in Afghanistan is under the age of 15 so it made total sense to wow. engage with the kids and the kids wanted a different wanted a different country they didn't you know they didn't want the same things as their uncles and fathers and grandfathers and every, everybody else um, they they wanted to imagine a new space for themselves and I think that the the little skateboarding community gave them that that tiny little bit of space to have a new to carve out a new identity for themselves uh, that, you know what that's one of the things I find most fascinating about it because effectively you had a blank canvas didn't you you know to take skateboarding into culturally and in the west skateboarding you know it it, it does fall down on certain cultural lines you know it's, it, it's pretty masculine let's be honest you know historically it's, it's a boy's thing it's a lad's thing obviously that's changing a lot now and then you've got that mirrored with the fact that you do have this like very, very patriarchal society in Afghanistan where, but I really like the fact that skateboarding's come in and kind of subverted both the way that we in the West perhaps see it and also the way that people in that society see the role of women. I mean, it's, it's really fascinating. So do you think, have you, was that something that you noticed immediately that they were, that they were this receptive, like culturally to skateboarding as a completely new thing? It was it was really important not to introduce any sort of Western values or Western culture. Which that is kind was, of what I'm getting at. Basically, that was that was that was super important because there was a lot of mistrust of of foreigners and what was what were their what 
what were their ulterior motives? What were their objectives in the country? Were they trying to turn all Afghans towards, I don't know, something that was uh, they weren't comfortable with? Yeah, which is the, the history of that country, basically, isn't it? And so I had, to, I, had to, I had to build trust. I had to build trust firstly with the kids and yeah. I had to build trust with, the, with, the, with their parents and then with the community as a whole. And that meant that I didn't introduce any skateboard magazines. I didn't introduce any music, any fashion any anything to do with skateboard culture at all anything otherwise that, that would have undermined that 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 uh, that opportunity for the girls to actually skate it would have been it would have been all over yeah so i had to be so so careful and you were and you made that realization from the beginning no it just sort of came about was you know certain girls would then not be involved anymore it was like well why did that happen and right. then saying okay or right, we've got to be careful about that and, and there's 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 a thousand untold rules in afghan society that i just needed to start to understand of yeah how do you how do you fit in and those rules aren't necessarily fair either because rich connected people flat you know don't don't go along with them but poor people on the street have to then abide by all of these things and it's sort of a it's a it's a power dynamic right and i was kind of at the bottom of the bottom of the barrel because i was a i was a foreigner and uh so then i needed to learn what all of those rules were so that i could at least be heard and at least be you know part of the part of the forum in a way okay and what, at what point did you begin to think, right, actually, this is something that I should scale, you know, because you, you describe how you began as, as you with a bunch of skateboards, basically, you know, and now you obviously were here. So what point were you like, yeah, okay, this is something that I should basically try and grow into a, you know, a coherent thing? I think I saw the the, the opportunity, especially when we started to get a couple of kids back to school and that joining it up with education sort of gave it a a direction to go in and a and a and a bigger a bigger purpose which i think was really important yeah and the kids told me that the kids told me that they wanted to go to school and that really that really affected me i saw all of these uh, high paid foreign consultants coming into afghanistan trying to create solutions that they and they had absolutely no idea of the context of where they were working right. and I really believed that it was Afghan Afghans that needed to change Afghanistan but to do that they needed to have an education so that's where it just made so much sense to me is like hey we need to do education we need to do it for these kids starting from a very young age and it has to be it has to be high quality so how can we do it and that then ultimately led to the building of uh, a, a really large uh, school with a skate park in it, <laughs> in in Kabul, and and was it difficult to to gain that level of trust? Because obviously that's a, that's a, a a further leap, isn't it? You know, there's the there's the skateboarding thing, but then to actually start saying, "Wow, we're, now we're really going to get involved in these kids' lives." You know, we're going to provide education and we're going to provide because you you uh, is it four schemes you have now, three or four schemes where there are different ways in for kids in in the skate stand might be a good point to yeah, describe those. Yeah, we've got those. Three, uh, three, main, 
yeah, three three main programs: skate and create, which is one hour of skateboarding, and then one hour in the classroom doing creative arts-based activities, and then a back-to-school program for the children that don't go to regular school, street working kids, uh, kids that have dropped out of school. And they do an accelerated learning program where they do three years of regular school and one year with us, and then we help them get back into the regular school system. And then our youth leadership program where we take kids from back to school and from the um, Skate and Create program and give them extra opportunities to talk in front of parliament, to go to uh, international conferences, to undertake local schemes to, I don't know, clean up the clean up their street yeah well it's, it's about opportunity isn't it it's about giving the kids the the, the avenues the pathways the, the the environment that they can develop and, and you know decide what they want to do themselves so how how difficult was it to gain that level of trust to to sort of you know to be accepted i as think it's something that you've got to continuously work on um i needed to that was a really big mistake that we made with our with our second project in afghanistan we, in Kabul, I'd been working with these kids and their families on the street for about an hour, uh, an hour and a half, a year and a half. <laughs> um, and um, that, that enabled, the, that enabled the, the programs in Kabul to work quite well. In Mazar Sharif, in the north of the country, we built a facility that was three times the size of the one in Kabul. It has the capacity for a thousand kids a week. And we just plonked it down in a suburb and started to try to run programs right, without to actually doing those yeah. that community outreach that engagement and uh, we just you know worked really well but people didn't really understand what was going on then a whole lot of kids were pulled out because local mullahs got involved and they were right. just like talking crazy smack about us and right right saying that we were yeah doing just creating rumors and people yeah. just didn't understand what was going on behind the walls of uh, this this new school so yeah. it's it's something we do we do about a thousand home visits a year in afghanistan right our staff simply go to the 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 homes of the students that we have and they have a cup of tea with the the mums and dads and explain to them what's going on we do uh, um, community events where we invite everybody from the community to see what see what's going on but it's a it's an ongoing activity it's not yeah. something that you just just do and then everything's okay after that it's something that you have to continuously work on yeah and that's that's that real um that's that's the point where trust is one of the most important things to to actually to actually build there's very very little trust in in a place like afghanistan between the ethnicities and especially between afghans and foreigners and it's it's simply something you have to keep on working on and without trust in place there's no point putting putting money in there you can't have um You've got to have social capital before you put the financial capital in. Otherwise, financial capital is not going to do anything. Yeah. So these are presumably lessons that you've taken, as you as you explained, from the expansion in Afghanistan. But you're also now operating in South Africa and in Cambodia as well. So, yeah, this is the experience that you that you've garnered and taken to these new projects, I guess. Yeah, we're um, we're trying to then again just adapt in every every different every different environment it's there's not a one size fits all where ah oh, we did it in afghanistan now let's do this same thing in south africa or, or somewhere else we've got to we've got to start from start from scratch try to find out what the 
yeah, what the communities want, how, yeah. what, how can we actually have an impact, a positive impact. And um, it, it's, it's so important to involve the, yeah, the local people in, in what's going on because ultimately they know best. They know what they want. They know where they want to go. And for us, it's simply to give a little bit of a, a framework and maybe a ladder that they can then climb up to get to where they want to where they want to get to and um, skateboarding is just such an amazing fun activity that is a huge hook and it also has a lot of benefits itself um, in terms of what it can give those give those kids and uh, positively impact those communities that we're in I'm sure it's one of the number one questions you get asked but what what is it about skateboarding in particular that is makes it such a powerful vehicle for this kind of um, work do you think I don't know if I've got the answer to that it's uh, it's there is there is definitely definitely something magical about it I've heard of a lot I mean I've seen it with my eyes in terms of you know uh, a kid that was uh, a student that was um, coming to Skaterstan and he died in a suicide attack in Kabul and the, the younger brother of that kid turned up to skater stand the next day and you know you could see that he was obviously very very i mean it was incredibly traumatic to you know your brother's been blown up and he came to the skate park and he was skateboarding around and he was skate he was just flying around and he was he was just that was that was his supportive community. Other other staff and students from Skaterstan actually dug his grave. It was like that's where he that's where he could actually that's where this younger brother could come to and process. Um, yeah, process and just deal with it. And yeah. and the kids just deal with such gnarly stuff on a on a daily basis. Where you know the parents are drug addicted or there's uh, all sorts of all sorts of crazy things going on in their lives and they need a they need a sense of a sense of stability and i've just heard stories from from canada where there's a um um there's a there's a prison and some of the uh, um the young young kids that are in this uh, juvenile um corrections uh, facility they've got they've got a, a resting heart rate of 150 beats per minute these are messed up kids yeah. and they they built a built a skate park inside the prison and they saw then the these the, the kids turn around them for them to just start to process things to deal with things so i think that there's a lot of there's not is not the hard scientific data no. that we actually need to yeah, say, yeah. oh, this is skateboarding is affecting the brain in this way yeah, and of course, yeah. having this, uh, yeah. you know, having this, that or the other effect. But, but everyone can recognise it though. I think that's the thing and, and that that's what really stands out, I think, from the work you guys do. You know, it's that old thing, isn't it? Like it's an outlet. You know, that's one of the cliches about skateboarding. You know, when you're a kid and you need that outlet, you know, and it gives you a a positive outlet for, for your aggression and, and you know it, it often comes along at a good point in people's lives doesn't it even in adolescence and, and in the west mm. we're, we're, it, it's now such a thing that it's there for you if you want it isn't it and then the other thing is obviously community like we've talked about before but you know skateboarding and all these activities 
they do give you that. You know, they give you this this sense of community that is another thing that people are often missing. I think I think it's so important in uh, in a globalized world as well. And maybe it's a little bit of a, a reaction to that, where all of a sudden family doesn't play such a role in exactly. decisions in your life. Yeah. And somehow you're connected to people all over the world. But then, how are you? physically connected and uh, you know small groups of skateboarders uh together or skate spots or i don't know going snowboarding together or surfing or or doing any of these activities that community aspect that sort of mini tribe that's also a, a global tribe exactly um yeah is that 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 sense of identity i think is so important to us as as humans we've always we, we, we had to originally seek out um, a tribe to actually be protected, to be safe. It's a, human, it's a basic human need, emotional want, isn't it? I mean, it's what everybody, you know, you'll, whatever, whatever you've been through, you'll try and find it if you're given the opportunity, like you're saying, basically. And because re- one of the things that struck me about the film, Land of Skate, is you've got there's a, sh- a really great shot at the end, I think it might be South Africa, where there's just kids skating down the street. You know, and it, I mean, that's just a scene like from anywhere in the world, isn't it? You know, the, like any skate film, you know, mates skating down the street together. And again, it seems like one of the, the most important things that you guys are doing is just providing that very simple opportunity. Like here's, a, here's an opportunity to join this community that you might not basically have, you know, otherwise. I, I think that that was, uh, that was my first, you know, some of the first ideas that I, that I started to have um, sitting in Kabul, looking at these thinking about these kids that I was skateboarding with uh, in in the streets in this little uh, cracked concrete fountain that we were skateboarding in, in in Kabul in a park and I just thought well you know skateboarding gave me a global community skateboarding opened up um, friends all over the world it gave me connections it gave me a sense of belonging and maybe skateboarding can do the same thing for these kids. I, I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't really. Uh, you know, I felt pretty small and power, powerless <laughs> at that uh, at that point in time. Sort of living in Kabul with virtually no money. Yeah. And uh, just trying to, you know, these skateboarding sessions made made sense to me. But I really felt like, well, what is going to what is really going to help these kids? And and one of the one of those things were. I thought were, were connections with other people, and uh, you know perhaps some some different perspectives and some different opportunities that, and and skateboarding could potentially play that play that role, and and I think now yeah ten years down the track it's uh, it's definitely shown to shown to be able to do that. Yeah, and and you can see that you can see that in the way that the the wider skate community has responded. You know you've got your obviously you do the citizen scheme, don't you? And you've got some like you know the biggest names in the world on there that are, that are like lending their support very visibly very vocally yeah i mean you and then you you like you're collaborating with other charities like you say aren't you and you, you're sharing your knowledge i mean again it's the, the, as the, as it's grown that's that community aspect to it has grown with it hasn't it basically yeah that the it wasn't just us connecting the kids to uh you know uh, a, a larger community outside it was also connecting that larger community to a place like Afghanistan or South Africa or Cambodia or um, 
these other places. And I think that that's a, that's a really useful, necessary um, thing to thing to happen at this at this point in at this point in time. A lot of people in um, you know. I'd say a lot of people in the US wouldn't really understand that much about um, Afghanistan, but through maybe following Skaterstan and supporting Skaterstan, there's some kids that have a great more, a great deal more knowledge about actually what's going on in Afghanistan than some people in their in their Congress. <laughs> so, what about you then? What were you doing in Afghanistan in the first place? Um, I was I was simply looking for a job. Um, I was looking for a job as a researcher. I'd worked uh, previously at a, at a university in, in Australia, in Melbourne, um, uh, as a research. That's where you're from, obviously. As yeah. A, yeah, as yeah. A, a researcher in uh, natural disasters. So I studied floods and fires and how you know how people can uh, best cope after these sort of after these events. Right. And I, I think some of those ideas then started to you know, spill into what ultimately I did with, with Skaterstan. And a lot of it is like, if you want to survive after something really, really bad has happened, the, the closer the community is linked, the better the recovery after a flood or a fly, fire and, and these sort of things. So I, I, I sort of took some of those, some of those ideas into the, okay. into the work further. That's interesting. So you had, so you were, you were in academia previously before that? And that was something that you were thinking of. Because that, that was one of the things that really struck me. Like, well, where did it come from? You know, you make it sound um, quite serendipitous in, in a lot of ways. But obviously there's substance to this. You know, there's... there's I, think I, was, I think I was thinking about the way that skateboarding could be more broadly utilised for about 20 years. Really? Um, I think it... Well, maybe, maybe not quite. Maybe not quite twenty years at that stage. But um, well, that was always something it was, that, you, that you had with your relationship with skateboarding. Yeah, when I when I was uh, when I was sixteen, I came to my mum's German, and I came to uh, went to Germany, and I was I hung out with other skaters. You know, we'd look at each other's shoes and spot each other in town. It's like, oh, you got all your holes in your shoe. You yeah, know, go yeah. and talk to them, and yeah. then connect connect with them. And spot, my German was pretty spot the brand. Like, pretty uh, terrible. I. I Came to came to London, skated South Bank in 80, 88 or eighty nine, and you know I had a you know there was a community wherever I went, but especially in Germany, um, I, uh, I yeah I, I saw that there was this there was this coming together of people from all different backgrounds. Like I was thinking, you know I. In other in other areas, is there that diverse thing? All my heroes were in skateboarding. Pretty much weren't white. It was Ray Barbie. It was uh, um, yeah, Christian Zoy. It was uh, um, Steve Caballero. All of these uh, Ron Allen. All of these uh, yeah. All my heroes weren't weren't white. And I was like thinking, you know, how does we are going to Germany. There was the the town that I was the tiny little town that I was in. It was really divided between Turks and Germans. Right. Yet the skateboarders and the BMXs and the kids doing graffiti 
they all came from all different all different backgrounds and that that sort of struck me as a you know 16 17 year old and then yeah I guess I started uh, skater stand as a 33 year old so right that so was uh, there was already some there were already some ideas about well the power of skateboarding to bring different different a diversity of people together right okay and then you and and then that's presumably as you mentioned hand in hand with studies and um, so what you said you were studying how did you phrase it like the 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 aftermath of natural disasters and how you can what what was the course you said you were doing when you uh it was the the center for risk and uh um community safety I can't even, it's going back quite a while now. Right. Um, so we, we researched, yeah, we researched, uh, no, I was working as a, as a researcher at the, at the university. Right, right. Um, my, my studies, uh, my degree is actually in chemistry. So right. So nothing to do with any of the above. So how did you get into that then? Was that? It was uh, just somebody, somebody was actually working in, uh, working for a, this uh, professor that was a worldwide expert on, on flooding stuff and they right. said that they needed a research, uh, a research officer and I, I submitted my, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was also pretty, uh, pretty got random. Got the job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so then you worked at that for a little while and then that's what drew you to Kabul basically. Um, yeah, there was a couple of things that, that happened in between. I, uh, I ran a, um, a bread business in, uh, organic sourdough bread business in, in Melbourne for, for a couple of years. Then I moved well, to... How do you time there? <laughs> I did that at the same time as working at the uni. So it was on the, on the weekends and after, after work. And um, then I moved to Central Australia and uh, worked with Indigenous uh, the indigenous community in okay. actually was sort of healthcare. Um, these uh, worked with two clients that were, uh, yeah, schizophrenic or that that had committed. I was a glorified jailer. I'd uh, they'd committed murder and they were then not in jail but sort of in twenty four hour care. And I would take them out to their community for them to sort of basically be in that but then also take them back to um, back to a home and that really that really affected me in a big way because I just thought wow you know how can I actually be useful um, within the you know huge problems in indigenous Australia in terms of rights for indigenous people in in Australia and really wanting to do something about it but feeling very very powerless and I think I saw some of these same things the same issues that I saw in uh, Central Australia play out with the Indigenous community, this huge divide between Indigenous Australia and white Australia and that huge lack of trust. And then what I saw in Kabul between, uh, you know, Afghans and foreigners. In, in Australia, billions of dollars have been, you know, put into um, trying to heal the, heal the rift yeah. and uh, help indigenous australians and very very little uh, progress made basically because of uh, lack of trust yeah and then the same thing happening in uh, kabul where the international community has spent you know over 500 billion dollars in the country but actually how much effect does that money have because people just don't trust each other and they're just continuously looking for what's in it for them and how they can that you know the wrong people are 
the, the wrong people are involved in solving the problems. Yeah. So these two, you know, it's a bit, bit glib way of putting it, but almost like these two sort of thought processes that you were having, you know, you get where I'm going, you know, the, scale, the, the power of the community that you've been thinking about for years and then the, the work you've been doing seems like comes together in this opportunity when you not opportunity that's definitely the wrong word to use but this this you know when you get to Kabul and then you, you start working with these kids yeah I can see why you were like oh, okay. I was yeah I was really I was really keen to get my get my teeth stuck into something yeah something bigger and I was I had a lot of uh, I don't know yeah I don't know if it was nervous energy but it was just a wanting to create some sort of create some sort of change and I just I, I was trying all of these different things and nothing was really sticking with me being the researcher working yeah. working in indigenous Australia doing the doing doing the bread business um, doing all of these different things that I, I had sort of one foot in but right also it wasn't the whole yeah you know, it wasn't the whole story and with sure. with 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 what was happening with girls getting involved in skateboarding in Afghanistan. I was like, wow, that, this is 100% me. And then yeah. the, the education part came, you know, was added on and then we were able to, to build a school and then anything was possible. It was like, hey, you know, we can, we can create the next, the next generation and we can actually create hope in a, in a hopeless place. We can create a, a safe island we're uh, in a in an incredibly um, in a sea of I don't know, danger. Yeah. Well, I mean, what you're describing is a sense of purpose, aren't you? Really, personally, have you have you always had that? Is that something that you sounds like it's been pretty prevalent since the start, really? I think I think it's I think it's very I think it's very hard to to feel a, a feel of feel a sense of purpose I think it's something that everybody strives for and ultimately needs but um, doesn't always find they, they don't yeah don't don't necessarily find it or they um, you know settle for something that is part the way part the way there and um, I uh, uh, you know I felt I felt pretty I felt pretty worried as a as a 33 year old, not having really any money to my name, not having really stuck at anything for a really long uh, period of time. Um, but ultimately, I was looking for something that had a lot of meaning to, uh, for me, and that you know that paid off. That, yeah. that sort of waiting and that trying out and testing and trying something and then trying something else, and that that. In in the end, I uh, yeah I got the best job in the world. I wouldn't I wouldn't trade places with anybody. Well, I was going to ask you that. It sounds like you've answered it already, but you know, that sense of purpose is is as strong as it now as it was then. Would you say? Yeah, I, I think that energy comes in uh, comes in waves, and there is uh, actually took a, a, a six months off last year. Had a had a sabbatical after ten years of Skaterstan and um, did a did a really big uh, motorcycle adventure around um, around South America with my girlfriend. Oh wow, how's that? Where'd you go? It was it was incredible. Started in uh, Santiago, Chile, went down to uh, down Patagonia, which is absolutely oh, beautiful. Man. That um, sounds amazing. Cross cross into Argentina and then 
all the way up to the top of Brazil, to the start of the Amazon, down the down the Amazon. So this is this is with uh, two motorcycles, yep. two skateboards, a tent, some camping gear, and yeah, you know, down down the Amazon, and then through into uh, Peru, and then sort of back around to Santiago, and yeah, wow, so the, the, almost the whole. Yeah, it was twenty thousand kilometers. Jesus. It was a big, uh, amazing, big, big big trip. But yeah, that was uh, I, I needed that refresh and reset. Yeah. Um, to to sort of keep the keep the keep the energy levels get you know fill the tank again and yeah. be, be be ready for what's next. But yeah, the I think that the this I've got a very uh, deep sense of purpose with the with the job that I'm doing and. Uh, and it and it continuously changes into into something a little bit bigger. Right. Well, I don't want to get too sort of cod Freudian on it, but where where do you think that comes from? Because it's not common. I don't think. I think the sense of purpose that you describe and how people want to find that sense of purpose is common, but often that can be um, can manifest itself in quite you know selfish ways and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that you know I don't don't mean to be judgmental about that at all but you know clearly from from an early age and for, for a long time you were looking for something that 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 was not just about it wasn't inward facing let's put it like that um wh- where do you think that comes from with you well I think I I think I gain gain a lot from I gain a lot from sharing and I think that everybody gains a lot from from sharing when they put themselves out there and 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 do that um i think that there's a lot of societal pressures and influences that you know tell you to you know stack your money up and look after yourself and don't trust anybody and basically be closed yeah be 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 closed off to the closed closed off closed off in a way I, I think I've always gained a lot by you know simply simply putting putting myself putting myself out there I've always been a, a very adventurous person so that then um, that then uh, creates um, cre- um, creates opportunities um, but yeah, I don't know I grew up in uh, Papua New Guinea um, oh really? So that was uh, right. that was my primary primary school years, okay. and uh, I was given a lot of I was given a lot of freedom as a kid. You know, I'd come home from from primary school and I'd throw off my sandals and I'd you know run around barefoot in New Guinea, riding my BMX around and right going to going to going to explore. I actually was uh, hitchhiking to school as a as an eight-year-old in right. New Guinea, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I was just putting myself putting myself out there and trusting the world, um, as, essentially. Right, that's interesting. So and from an early age, you, you had, you know, effectively a, an inquisitive and open relationship with the world. Let's, let's say. I think I think that made it really easy for me to then go and explore the streets of Kabul yeah. because it was I don't know it was the forty-second country that I'd been to and. Um, you know, I didn't have a lot of money to go and travel to all of these countries. No. I simply would take whatever I had and and basically trust the world and put myself put myself out there. I think the more you travel, though, and especially the more you travel to those countries 
you know, those countries as in countries that the West can be suspicious of. I mean, I've been lucky enough to travel a little bit in some of those to Iran, Lebanon, a couple of places that, you know, we have traditionally have a, a guarded relationship with, let's say. And I just think the more you, you travel, the more you realize people are just uh, cliched as it sounds, exactly the same wherever you go in the world. And also great, you know, grateful that people are making the effort. You know, I remember whenever I've been to countries that you would expect to have a difficult relationship with, it's the opposite because they're just so hungry to, to speak to people that aren't from the same culture as them and are so welcoming as a result, you know. And I'm sure it was the same for you, you know, when you were over there. Absolutely. I mean, totally. It was wherever I went, what my, my experience when I first arrived in Kabul were that Afghans are actually the most hospitable people that yeah. you will ever come across. Yeah. But, I mean, and, and without putting yourself out there, it doesn't happen. I got invited to dinner five times in the first time that I went out in the, went out in the street. And it's like, well, you've got to be... Uh, it's, it's actually Afghan culture to invite everybody in for a cup of tea. And you're supposed to um, you're supposed to say no because that's just them being polite, <laughs> and they're supposed to ask you three times before you actually accept. And uh, me being a little bit naive would just accept the first like, time yeah, and right, go and sit yeah. <laughs> sit down with them. And they're like, "Who yeah. the hell is this guy? What's yeah. going What's going on here?" Yeah, with a skateboard. I was uh, I was completely overwhelmed by just how friendly everybody was, and you know that wasn't what I I did a lot of reading before going to Afghanistan, and that didn't it didn't come out in no. anything that I was anything that I was reading. It was no, just you never a completely. He- you never hear it. You always hear. You know, it's like North Korea now, isn't it? The conversation about North Korea. I'm sure if you went to North Korea, you know, the reality... Well, it's just always a huge gap, isn't there, between the story that you told, you know, through the media. Like, not, not that I want to massively beat that drum, but... And the reality of life in those places and what those people are like is, is huge in those countries. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous when you, when you make the effort to visit those places, isn't it? How, how wrong that perception is. Yeah, and I mean, ultimately, as you said, everybody is going through the same, the, the same things in their lives. The, the parents love their kids in exactly the same way and care about their futures and want the want the best for them they they the kids want opportunities. the kids want communities like we're talking about yeah exactly yeah. all of these all of these things are and i mean this is this is what just astounds me so much you know biologically we're 99.999 percent the same i mean from a dna perspective we are all almost identical yet the whole world is able to just concentrate on tiny 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 little differences and then just make a huge deal out of it and then put up barriers between people and then uh, and I don't think that that I don't think that that helps anybody anywhere but those those barriers are real and they're they're there and they're they exist and they're they're perpetuated by a lot of people did you have any um, difficulties with with other developmental organizations because obviously there is i'm sure you would have come up against that or or had to deal with that environment in afghanistan because you know there's there's a lot of other ngos there there's a lot of other more traditional approaches to the work that you do how how was that how did that community accept what you guys were doing i think we were very very lucky there um i mean most uh 
most most people. I mean, not not so much in 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 Afghanistan. It was a little bit more straightforward because there wasn't that many people doing something larger scale for kids. There was a couple of local orphanages and a couple of things that were. Uh, they're going on in terms of engaging these under under 16 year olds um so what we were doing is very unique and people saw saw value in that it was a little bit trickier going um establishing in a place like cambodia where ngos international ngos have been there for a very long time yet even in that environment we're able to gain the respect of the really large um, established NGOs, ones also like Friends International, which does uh, fantastic work. Um, they, they they respected what we were doing because they saw that we had the ability to work with the most vulnerable kids, the the, the kids that would fall through the the the, the gaps, the that would fall through the nets that everybody else had put up there. We could uh, we could actually get those kids that couldn't concentrate, that couldn't you know just sit down in a in a classroom or apply themselves to learning how to fix bicycles or sew clothes or do anything. We those hardest to work with kids. We had an we we had a we could create a connection and we could create a, a, a longer term connection than a lot of other people were able to do simply because skateboarding is an amazing activity for yeah. for, for doing that. So they recognised it, I guess. So we were yeah, I think recognized we were really value. yeah. We were we were lucky. But I mean that said, um, a lot of people laughed at me in two thousand seven, two thousand and eight when I said, you know, tell people what I was doing. I was in Kabul um, they were earning these enormous salaries working for the UN, for the World Bank sure. and doing yeah. all of these things. And I'm like skateboarding in the street with kids and had no money and they had to buy me dinner. And, yeah. you know, it was like, you're doing skateboarding? Right. Like, is this something that the country actually needs? And so I tried very hard at the start to be taken seriously and... Um, you know, it was uh, yeah. It was a there was a there was a little bit of there was a little bit of uh, hoop jumping there, and um, we I, I wanted to then choose people that were part of Skaterstan, especially internationals that got involved. That you know, we're not just uh, we're not just these skateboarders that you that are I don't know not able to do something properly is like we we're gonna we're gonna do something and we're gonna absolutely blow your minds yeah well you know there's that traditional cliche isn't there about what skateboarders are and and what 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 role they fulfill and i'm sure you know you turning up with this idea didn't really gel with their (laughs) preconceived (laughs) ideas about skateboarders okay right where's this guy coming from yeah so um People listen to this, you know, inspiring conversation, inspiring concepts. Like, how, what, what can they do? What can they, how can they get involved? Well, we'd love people to become citizens of Skaterstan. Um, it's a $10 a month uh, donation to, to, to Skaterstan. It's eight pounds or so. And, uh, yeah, you become part of our global community. We uh, have, have newsletters and get involved. Um, there's... Yeah, we're we're continuously um, trying to yeah build that build that global community. We wouldn't have got anywhere without um, 
all sorts of help from all sorts of people and um, would love to would love to hear from people that think that they can help us in some yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, continue the collaborative approach. Is that the main way that the organisation is funded through subscription? We that that is something that we're very um, uh, we is a very important part of our um, funding. Uh, we're also funded by some foundations, by some uh, there's some government funding, but that government funding is usually dependent on which government is in charge and we've seen that come and go and it's 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 really not a a good source of funding to rely upon um and individual donations are actually the the backbone of the organization yeah so what's uh, what's next well uh, the next the next plans are to yeah basically document everything that we know and uh, through a program that we're calling the good push alliance we want to share the knowledge that we have with the hundred or so social escape projects that we've identified around the world to help them have more social impact. Uh, we want to build uh, new skate schools in central Afghanistan, in Bamiyan, and uh, another one in, in Jordan. So we're really excited to, to work, to, to be getting into, into these, uh, these projects. Um, I mean, we've, it's grown into a large organisation now. There's, I've got 95 full-time employees wow. um, around the around the world. Um, Afghanistan has been running completely by Afghans the last three years. Wow, that's 50, amazing. 50 staff on the ground of, there. You must be proud of that. It's yeah, it's uh, it's really cool. Yeah, brilliant. Well, we should wrap it up, I think, because you've got a you've got a, a talk to prepare for. But I really I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, no worries. So yeah, that was me and Oli Perkovich of Skate Stan. Like I say, recorded at the Pushing Borders event that was held in London in May 2018. Essentially, that was a an academic conference about skateboarding, which to my early teenage self would have been manna from heaven. But unfortunately, there wasn't too many of them around back then. So it was brilliant to head up there and check that out. And massive... Um, Congrats to Tom Callan, Stu McClure and friends for putting on such a great event. I stuck around on the Sunday to watch Ollie's panel discussion with some of the other key skate charities. And yeah, it's clear there's a real appetite for this in the skateboarding community. So brilliant event all round. Speakers this year included Alyssa Steamer, Ocean Howell, Feedback Ted was there, Ian Borden. Huge list. Go and check out the website so you can see what was going on. And, uh, and yeah, get yourself down there next year. Speaking of pushing borders, I did mention this in the newsletter I sent out last week. Immediately got an email back from my old friend Ed Blumfield at White Lines pulling me up for using the word borders. Um, do a search for Chris Moran's legendary White Lines piece. Don't call it boarding for the full background to that one. Speaking of newsletters, apparently there's some new legislation around not sure if you've heard about that um is that going to stop me sending out any newsletters no it's not i mean i don't send out that many anyway to be honest but when i do i like to think they're worth looking at they usually have some uh news about what's going on with the podcast could be bonus episodes could be new merch could be discount codes like the ones my friends at finisterre sorted out for me last year could be just some stuff i'm finding interesting and think that you might want to hear about so if you like the sound of that head on over to www.wearelookingsideways.com where you can sign up. You can also see the show notes for this and every episode, as you probably also know by now. And you can see the full back catalogue. So 
you know, I've got some other great skateboarding ones on there. I've got Pete Helicar. I've got Long Live South Bank. I've got Tim Light and Boyce. And I've got plenty more coming. Of course, to see the full back catalogue, including bonus episodes, you're going to need to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or some other podcast provider. So why don't you do that? And while you're doing it, why don't you leave me a review on there? I think I'm on about 185 star. Actually, no, 168 because that um, fucker left me a three-starer. But I got a lot of five-star reviews, basically. And um, yeah, why don't you leave me a review? Add to the cause. Come on, it's been a while since I mentioned that. So yeah, like I say, got some of the great interviews sorted out, including a couple more skateboarding ones on the way. Neftali Williams, who I interviewed at Pushing Borders. Alex Mole. I'm happy to say, is keen to come on the show. We'll try to sort that out as uh, as I speak. The man is a legit UK skateboarding legend, so I'd be pretty happy to get him on there. Uh, I also got on Skype, actually, for only my third ever Skype interview. This one was with uh, Spencer O'Brien, Canadian snowboarder and Olympian. Great episode. I think that one's going to be in which we discussed her open letter, her experience at the Olympics, her very forthright views on... Um, snowboarding and the damage that's been done to the culture by the olympics yeah check that one out it's a good one that'll be dropping in a couple of weeks in the meantime enjoy the week and uh, i'll be back next week see you later nice one